Hey guys, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. Today, I am joined by my co-founder, Ian Carr, and we've got a ton of stuff to dive into, from Square acquiring Jay-Z's company title, to even more news on SPAC's special purpose acquisition companies. Ian, are you ready to dive into everything? <laughs> I'm hyped. I woke up at 5 a.m. today. Uh, you know, like this is my Christmas, uh, so I'm very excited to, <laughs> to dive into uh, um, streaming music and fintech and SPACs and everything. So, uh, you know, let's get started, Julie. I'm glad we have you on today because this is really like your Christmas. For those that don't know, Ian, fintech and music is like his jam, no pun intended. So this is this is the perfect episode for <laughs> I'll, him. I'll give a little backstory about why uh, I'm so into it too. So uh, I'm, I'm perfect, really excited perfect. to get to that segment. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be the closing segment, I believe. So we will get there <laughs> sooner rather than later here. So um, let's start with SPACs first, though. So not not your jam, but it is in a way because Chamath Palahapatiya, you're a big fan of, and he is one of the main guys that does a lot of SPACs. Like I said before, it's a special purpose acquisition company, a new way for um, startups and others to go public via a merger instead of doing a direct listing or an IPO themselves. Someone on our team made an awesome video for us about SPACs where I, for one, learned a ton about everything that's going on. Um, and it starts out with a video of your your friend, Shamath. <laughs> I wish we were friends. Yeah, I mean, SPACs are super interesting. Shout out to Austin, who did a great job on the video. And, uh, you know, I'm loving the video so far in general, too. And I'm super interested in SPACs. I think, you know, uh, FT Partners, which is a, a boutique investment firm focused on fintech, published their uh, annual almanac um, this week, and I was lo- taking a look, and there were 12 fintech SPACs just in 2020 alone, which is the most, uh, which is the biggest uh, fintech SPAC year uh, that they recorded. And, you know, I'm super curious to get your thoughts on just the SPACs in general and, like, how it really changes uh, liquidity events for companies. And then in general with fintech companies, do you kind of see this as a way for fintech companies to kind of go public and get and uh, an exit? Uh, and was this opportunity not there before, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think the opportunity was always there. It's just increasing because in order for a SPAC to do even somewhat well, you really have to have someone like Chamath or Alex Rodriguez also has a SPAC. Paula Ryan, the politician, has a SPAC. There's a lot of other celebrities and athletes that have SPACs. I think Shaq even has one. And you need these guys to promote your company because that's the way that you get people to buy in. Sort of like on a traditional IPO, you get bankers to go promote you to all these investors and whatnot. My What Austin dove into that I had a dying question but never dove into myself is just how SPACs do compared to traditional IPOs. So if you look at the average the average return is 50%. The median return, so not the average, but just that center, if you count how many IPOs or or not IPO SPACs are on each side, is 0%. That's not Which is fascinating. Yeah, no. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, like, I wonder, I'm really, I wonder if you take, you know, dive into like sector by sector and how that differs or anything like that. I feel like the amount of information and data we have around SPACs is going to be really interesting to dive into. Yeah, I um, one of my the guy that actually hired me at Bloomberg before I came and worked for you, Joe Weisenthal, mm-hmm. the stalwart on Twitter, had a tweet this morning asking if there was any way to track how Chamath related SPACs do, and if there's not <laughs> one yet, we should start one because 
I'm dying to know the answer to that question as well. Well, I mean, um, he's taking one of a, a, a big fintech company public, SoFi, so I'm excited for that mm-hmm. one. Um, he's you know, got a I couple think, other fintechs too, I think. Wasn't he involved in Open Door as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the other one too. Um, I think another, mm-hmm. I think there's a really interesting comment that I saw on Twitter, and I think it's something to emphasize too. The, the the pipe financing vehicle and the size of that in relation to the SPAC is also something to consider. I'm trying to find the actual tweet in my bookmarks. Um, yeah, and ba- explain the pipe financing too. What exactly is that? Because I'm not super familiar with that term either. Yeah, it's a private investment uh, into a public vehicle. So basically it's it, okay. along... So alongside these these SPACs or these IPOs, there's usually a massive financing round. So it's really about how much mm-hmm. money people are putting into that vehicle, which usually is a, a sign right. of how strong the SPAC is. Um, I'll, I'll have to uh, dig up the, the tweet a little bit later and send it over to you. But uh, it's definitely interesting and definitely, I think there's a lot of ways to think about SPACs. And I think judging how successful they are is going to be a much more nuanced conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree, because I think there's some that go public via a SPAC because it's really the only route they have, and there's others that probably would have done fine in a traditional IPO and seen a nice bump like a firm and others have that have gone public in the more traditional way, but chose a SPAC for other reasons. They Maybe it was just easier. The process is a lot faster when you do a SPAC yeah. versus a traditional IPO. Also, so there's, there's are, various benefits for companies that way. Also, businesses are weird, and this is probably a good segue into into its uh, cash app and, uh, and uh, title, but businesses are super odd. Like, for instance, I heard a story about a, buddy's, a buddy of a, fr- uh, a friend uh, who's doing like 50 mil in a software company. It's literally, like, it's nothing that, it's nothing that interesting. It's just like a bunch of tools and things like that for creatives. But, uh, they're doing 50 mil. They're like, I have no idea what to do with this business. It doesn't, doesn't really do anything with it. Just kind of runs itself. But like, so is that a SPAC opportunity? Maybe. I mean, like, you know, he, we were kind of like just talking about it, but obviously it's a little bit far-fetched, but there are a lot of complex businesses that a traditional bank might not be the best, you know, person to go out and sell it you might you might need someone who's a little bit more familiar with the business so i think there's another that really interesting opportunities over time too right yeah i think um we're we're working on an in-depth report about SPACs and i think we've covered a lot of questions that we're going to want to dive deeper into in that report for sure for sure yeah i'm really excited (laughs) but speaking of the creatives like you said this is your jam the next two topics that we talk about ian if you you're going to be able to tell in his voice that he's super excited (laughs) to talk about this stuff so um last week uh square and jack dorsey's company um announced that they are buying title jay-z's company um, and I believe Jay-Z's getting a board seat too, isn't he? Sean Carter, yeah, in Square. another name yeah. you know by. Yeah, That's in crazy. Square. It's crazy. It's really interesting. It's I mean, I tweeted this, but it's crazy to think about Jay-Z as a board member of a financial services company. But, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think that the acquisition, I mean, on the surface, people are going to, I think the easy answer is this is insane. But I think it makes a ton of sense. I think... If you look at Twitter and Square and Packy at Not Boring has done a really good, did a really good analysis of just tw- Twitter and Square, um, I think uh, maybe a week or two ago. So I highly recommend people read that. But if you look at their product, like Twitter's most recent announcements around super, super followers and things like that, you know, it's clear that there's a big opportunity for both companies to enable monetization opportunities for creators. Um, and then you look at title, right? And you see Spotify, like they're all, they've been in third place and, but they have a really interesting asset, which is, uh, a bunch of really talented artists that are 
directly signed by Tidal, and they're the original, um, I guess, partners for Tidal. They're actually the second biggest stakeholder, which is really interesting after this acquisition. Um, so uh, Square is the biggest stakeholder, uh, I think, through Cash App now. Uh, Jay-Z gets a board seat, and then the second biggest shareholder are these artists that you know have seen their main revenue stream tours been completely evaporated over the last year, year and a half. So, you know, they're very, very interested and very, and obviously the creator economy thing is blowing up, but the real reason it's blowing up is because the creator economy has been around for decades. People have monetized creatives for years, you know? It's not anything new. I think the only thing new that's really happening is that it's getting digitized because of the fact that traditional revenue streams for these artists is really are really going to zero. So how are people who are putting out new songs going to make uh, going to make money? You see Travis Scott and other artists, you know, putting out uh, merch and things like that as a way to, and they've been making big amounts of money. They've been, you know, artists have been working with Drake put out, you know, sneakers with Nike and things like that. There are a ton of ways that artists are monetizing their their brand and their audience. And I think that enabling that seems to be a really powerful, untapped opportunity for, and I think that's a really interesting area that Tidal and Cash App can, I mean, you have the, like you have these artists on your platform already. All you need to do is kind of you know figure out. And Square obviously has inventory management systems, uh, commerce solutions, and things like that. Building out a uh, a commerce and in-app commerce functionality, you know, in Title through Cash App and Square seems to make sense to me. I mean, uh, I think there's a ton of oper- other opportunities too, right? I think uh, the other area is around directly monetizing that relationship too. I'm a big Drake fan, as you know. Um, uh, and a rumor has it he has uh, some new music coming out tomorrow. I obviously want to support my good friend, so I would love to tip him, uh, you know, three, five dollars, uh, you know, things like that um, uh, for, for his great music. And I think, obviously, I'm not going to do that for Drake because he makes enough money. But if there's an artist that, I mean, there's the, the thousand true fans theory that, like, all you need is a thousand true fans on the internet to give you money, and then you could probably, you know, make a self sustaining business. And you know, if you're an artist that's just getting started, I think you know, if instead of putting out music into the ether, monetizing it directly with your uh, with your fans makes the most sense, and I think gives you a path towards uh, you know making that your full time career much more uh, much more directly, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get it. So now that Title is doing this, do you expect Spotify, Apple, others to try to do something like this too? For sure, Spotify announced this a couple of days ago. I think last maybe two weeks ago, but uh, they they they've been they added um, things like subscription payments for podcast feeds. Um, they've been testing out things like enabling artists to sell merch into Spotify. The problem here is not really the problem here is actually like inventory management and all the boring like stuff that no one really wants to do. Like it's not really in Spotify's forte to build out a commerce like like engine right um they don't really have any experience doing that square actually has a lot of experience you know uh based on their based on their track record around payment processing around enabling uh you know new merchants around enabling new merchants to sell to new uh new audiences and things like that you know i think it makes a ton of sense do we expect something like this to be a a decent revenue driver for square I wonder. I mean, it's it's tough to say. I wonder if it's really more about 
better monetizing the title asset rather than becoming a huge becoming a huge uh, boon for Cash App. I mean, you know, culturally, I think this elevates Cash App into a different stratosphere compared to other fintech companies. Uh, if you have all these artists directly, I mean, you've you've written a lot about the influencer marketing uh, tactics that fintech companies are using. Now, these these shareholders that are also massive uh, artists have a economic incentive to go out and promote Cash App and go out and promote uh, Cash App uh, downloads and features and things like that to not only incentivize themselves but you know improve their uh, stake in in the in the joint venture as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess I'm just trying to figure out. I remember Square bought Caviar, and that never really fully made sense to me. And then they ended up selling Caviar mm-hmm. because they never really got it to. I mean, it worked, but it didn't work well enough to justify using their resources on building that out versus all of the other opportunities that they had in front of them. Keith Rabat, uh, one of the early members at Square, tweeted this that I think it's really an example of you know how you can't really bucket innovation in like uh, like into optimizing metrics. I think with the, the caviar thing, it's it didn't work, and I mean I don't really know overall if they sold it for like a profit or whatever. I actually don't remember the numbers, but it definitely didn't work. I mean I'm I'm sure they definitely wanted to use that as a way to get into delivery and then connect the restaurants and things like that and bake all the the, the functionality in. But, you know, at the end, the opposite side of not trying it, I'm sure they learned so much from that experience and so much more about what their restaurants are interested in and uh, and things like that. So I do give Jack a lot of, uh, you know, props for taking the initiative and, you know, trying out these things. I'm super excited about it. I do agree. I wonder how big it's going to actually, Square's such a big company too, right? I think like it's really hard to see what moves the needle for them. that being said, I think it's probably more of a slow play thing here. You know, Cash App took a long time to get started too. I think when everyone, you know, uh, when consumer, when Square started getting more into consumer stuff uh, and away from, you know, selling into the selling financial services products to merchants, I think a lot of people were, and probably including myself, kind of criticized them and was like, I think there was that thing that they did where you can pay by your name at certain merchants and things like that. And, you know, everyone was like, this is insane. But now you see them a huge consumer fintech company. So uh, it's hard to bet against them at this point, you know? So sticking on the topic of creators for the final one, what's going on in this space outside of this Square title news? Because it feels like the creator economy, the influencer economy, like you mentioned before, I've dove into a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like there's a lot going on here and a lot of opportunity left. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the creator economy. I'm sure you see a lot of VCs and folks uh, tweeting about it. There are a lot of really interesting early stage companies out there. But what's interesting is that big players are you know noticing as well. I, I was just mentioning Twitter and Spotify as two companies that have both launched like creator focused monetization products recently. It's becoming very obvious that there's a massive business there, and it's one that's growing. It's it's something that is uh, becoming bigger and bigger and bigger over the last couple of months in the last year, especially, I think one interesting area that I haven't really seen many, many companies dive into, and I'm super excited about is that these companies, these creators are small businesses in and of themselves, right? Like they're, you know, you need to make an LLC. Like when I started, first started FinTech today, uh, I, you know, definitely started considered myself as a creator and I had to, you know, start an LLC and things like that. Uh, Julian, Julie knows this, like setting up payroll for FinTech day was an absolute nightmare process. Like this is something that I was very not expecting because I wasn't expecting. I you know fintech day was a side project at first, and 
turned into a business, which is a, a classic creator story. So, you know, firsthand seeing all these issues pop up and, you know, talking to more and more creators outside of like the newsletter space and more, you know, folks who are building podcasts and YouTube things and things like that. It's been really interesting to hear about their pain points. It's not, it's much less around like working capital and lending and things like that. Though There are some use cases. It's much more around like, how's my business doing? And like, what's going to happen next month? And am I going to be able to spend 20K on this project? Uh, or do I have to like, you know, figure out, figure out different ways to kind of finance that? Like, it's just very fundamental business questions. So I think that's an area I'm really excited about. I think there's a lot of potential to solve a lot of problems there. Yeah, I think not only is there potential to solve problems, but just to make it more like easier, more seamless for these creators, because by nature, they're creators, not business people for the most part. So they're learning a new language with a lot of the business aspects. And there, there's things that they did, had no idea they would have to do, like launching payroll or legal things and other financial things that I think there's a lot of room for a startup or even one of the bigger companies to launch a new product that truly helps people in this space um, and tailors their products a little bit more to them. Yeah, yeah, and you and you mentioned it too. The consumerization of these business software products is really what's interesting. I think, you know, like I'm sure you hear me rant about this all the time, but uh, I think like there's it's really disarming and and a very like not a great experience when you log on and you see all these numbers and you're just like, what the hell does this mean? You know? And I'm, I'm pulling back my actual language about what I said when I've logged on to a bunch of payroll software. I'm like, it's literally gibberish. And I feel like I know what I'm talking about with this kind of stuff. So if it's really not decipherable for me, I wonder like, you know, people who have, you know, are just really focused on selling, you know, the best mugs or whatever, like just really just trying to get their business off the ground. I, I wonder, you know, the pain points they suffer from. I think it's a really wide open area. I think so too. And I think it's not, it's a pretty large market too, because not only creators can you do this, but by nature, influencers are also part of this economy too. And as we know, that's a, a big market. And now Google isn't going to do website tracking anymore. So everyone's saying that more people are going to go use influencers, both in fintech and outside of fintech. So there's going to be a lot going on, I think. Yeah. 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 I, 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 you've also heard me say this a bunch of times, but I'm definitely excited for the next couple months of fintech. I think it's going to be going to be pretty hectic for sure. As you, I mean, it's only March, Julie. I didn't even realize. I thought it was like already July. Except for the cold weather outside, I would have been confused too. But you being in LA, it's just the same weather year round. So you don't, <laughs> you have no sense of time whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but everyone can follow along on FinTech Today. Um, that is it for today's episode. But join me again later this week for my conversation with Koki Haziotis of Lasagna Technology again. Thank you, Ian. Of course. Thanks for having me.